This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You are listening to White to truck it. I'm Duner here with Michael Vincent the Dude. Hey, good Monday afternoon from Freight Alley. Brother, it snowed on me this weekend. It did. It yeah. did. You know who didn't uh, put the sunshine on you either? Tiger. He tried. Nah, he let tried. me down, but uh, he looked good. He looked yeah. good. For you what, you know, for what it is, it is what it is, but you know, hey. You get deep in those masters? I do. I like the masters. I don't. I just read Freight Nose all weekend and, <laughs> and, and tweet, but one of the things I came across is memes do come true. You guys they remember do. this old meme, Take Me Someplace Expensive from last year? Take a look at this picture right here. It came true. Look at that. Brad Jacobs tweets this morning. Look at Avril Lavigne right in front of those XBO containers. I guess uh, there's an engagement that happened over in front of the Eiffel Tower. There you go. It I was, don't it, want it, to uh, suck the fun out of it, so I'm not going to comment on that maybe photoshopped a little bit, those XBO containers. No, but, uh, no, no. No? Are, no. Leave no. it as it is? We're going to leave it like We're going to leave it as it is. That's love. I mean, those like Maersk ones aren't photoshopped either. Yeah, and the, uh, <laughs> the Ever Given meme came true again when the Ever Forward got stuck over yeah. in, uh, in Chesapeake Bay, where it still it is to this day. Gosh, that's right. And then, no. yeah, that's uh, <laughs> oyster futures through the roof. Well, big show today. <laughs> We're going to talk about inflation, and uh, we got an original song about it today. Yeah. We got Tive Series B. We're going to cover that. The importance of meeting drivers at their level. More economists co-sign on the freight downturn. Shanghai Port runs out of reefer space. Parcel surcharges. Incoming Sword Kings outgoing. What? Pink Floyd found road rage and more. We got uh, Joe Wiesenthal. He's the host and editor of Odd Lots, and he's also with Bloomberg. We got Kreiner Konami, CEO and founder at Tive, and Dave Abels, CEO at Three Sons Investment. We got to tip the band real quick, and we'll get to our first guest right after. So autonomous trucks are coming with a huge potential windfall if you're ready to seize it. Start re-engineering your supply chain for autonomy today. Contact Locomation at Tell'em, dude. Hey, go to locomation.ai for turnkey solutions immediately after this show. All right, well, it's your big day. You got a big raise. It's a Series B. It's Kenner Konami. What's up, man? CEO at Tive right here. Huge, huge day. Series B, $54 million. I was just reading the story on Freight Waves. I'll do little these little plastic uh, trackers right here. That's right. Kenner, That's right. how are things this morning? What are you doing to celebrate? I, uh, working. We're always working. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I noticed there's no balloons. There's nothing in there. There's just you ready to grind in and evangelize the power of Tive and, uh, and get the team up and running for what this Series B means. Tell us a little bit about how it came about, though. Yeah, it's, an, it's, a, it's very exciting. We're very uh, uh, fortunate to have amazing investors who are leading this round. Uh, Axa Venture Partners. Alex uh, and Ada from uh, Axel Venture really believed in us. Uh, they had huge conviction in time. I'm really happy to have them as a lead investor. My last name is a little mis misspelled, but that's okay. It's K-O-M-O-N-I, but it's okay. <laughs> they'll fix that right in the back. Uh, not, they'll fix it. Not, not a big deal. Um, so we, we're very excited. It's a $50 million round um, with great uh, investors who are following like Sorensen Capital, Fifth Wall, Qualcomm Ventures, SGF Ventures, Floating Point, and all the current investors are 
continuing to invest in the in, in this amazing story that we built, an amazing company that we built. Um, and yeah, that's uh, as far as celebration. The team is very excited, <laughs> as uh, as they should be. Um, we for us, it's just getting like I think of it as this is where the real work begins, mm. and this is where we really start to focusing more and more on our customers, more and more how do we service them better. Um, that's this money is really going to go to our customers. Yeah, and, and Krenar, that's a great point because a lot of people look at these raises and they go, man, that's awesome and celebration and all kind of thing. But this is really, now, now it's big time, right? I mean, it's $54 million now, like you said, time to get to work, right? So you've got, to, you've got this responsibility. You've got to uh, 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 make it happen for these investment partners. How do you choose those partners? Because that's very, very important, right? Because the relationship gets very serious now, right? Yeah, absolutely. I never forget one uh, one longtime investor I was, when I was fundraising early on and back in 2015, 2016, 2017. Uh, this Boston investor told me, he's like, Kernar, you can fire almost everybody, but you can never fire your cap table. <laughs> so bringing your investors, <laughs> bringing uh, import, the right investors is very crucial. Um, I, I could tell you the funding process was great. We immediately received like a matter of seven to 10 days. We got five term sheets. Um, which was we showed a lot of inbound interest from all the investors because we were growing a lot and took a while to really understand who is going to be that best investor. But however, we could we could tell that AXA uh, is one of the largest insurance companies in the world and not immediately today, but two, three years from now, insurance could be could could potentially be, be a big, very big play for them. But the conviction that Alex and Ada had uh, in our business was one of the big reasons why uh, we chose AXA Venture Partners to, to lead this round. Oh, great! But you're point. right. Now it's not. It's not uh, like people think that this is the money. Now we get to it's it celebrations definitely are there, but now the real work begins. We have to have returns on this investment. This is yeah. not. Now we got to think of how do we 10x, 20x the company. We have more than 300 customers. Um, we need to double our bookings this year at least uh triple our revenue this is all hard work that needs to get done uh behind the scenes and the interest by insurance makes a lot of sense especially considering what you guys do and your product but what do you plan on investing the <clears throat> money in what's the short-term sort of goal and build out for ty from here yeah, I think still the world doesn't know a lot about Tive and they still don't can fathom concept that, hey, you have this thing like you showed me earlier. You still have it, which is awesome. Thank you. You can place it on a shipment and know exactly where it is all over the world, but also its condition, how hot, how wet, how cold. Um, and it's very cost effective. So we want to there's a huge land grab opportunity right now for us. I want Tive to be the company and we're well funded right now to actually make that happen. So a lot of investment is going to go in sales and marketing. And then a lot of investments going in the product. A lot of software engineers that we're going to hire. Uh, there's some really exciting, even hardware products that we're going to release. Uh, and I'm sure I'll be on the show. We'll talk about them in a few months. So that's it's it's sales and marketing, and it's in product. Yeah, excellent stuff. Now you said you know down the road maybe insurance gets into this, but the data there is very very important, right? So uh, are you working on that? The data dashboard as as far as the uh, uh, the the monetization of that. Yeah, that's a good question. So if you think how our business model has worked in the past, we've sold trackers um, quite a bit. And people look at, even businesses have looked at us just as a company that's selling trackers. But it, I would say in early 2020, we started, our software evolved quite a bit. So we started charging customers for software, for those dashboards, for that data, for 
the analytics, for the alerts, for being able to monitor their shipments using our software. And that's something that's picked up quite a bit. That's where a lot of investments is going to go uh, this year. And you're right, that monetization of that data, monetization of the software is going to uh, be the next phase here. But long term, I think it'd be awesome if this just becomes part of doing business. This just becomes, uh, people don't think about it as a cost. They think about Optive as the what the value we're bringing on the software side, the data side. This is just the means to an end. Yeah, so this becomes table stakes. Any, uh, what about consumer goods? Are you going to go after air tags next? <laughs> air tags, uh, they have a lot of privacy issues. I'm sure you've seen the news every day where air tags are popping and the police and all of that. It's it's uh, tracking people. I don't think it's going to be times business. Yeah, that <laughs> well, makes it, sense. It's already a, it's a Christmas tree. However, I have friends. I have a lot of friends who are like, hey, can I track my kid? Like, she's going to Panama for a visit, or can I track my daughter, or can I track this? Like, like for visits, for travel, or I put this in my luggage every time I travel. Like, I got to be honest, it's amazing. You know exactly where all our employees do the same thing. So, Has, have, so, so have you recovered? <laughs> have you recovered any lost luggage due to one of these blue bad boys? Uh, I think one of our employees did, yes. Oh, he sweet. knew exactly it was stuck somewhere in uh, in New York, I believe, and they didn't know where it was. So he could tell exactly where the terminal, where in that terminal they called them. They're like, how do you even know? And like, he was like, well, I have a Tive tracker in it. I'm watching you. <laughs> well, I'm watching you all the time. Pren, are you and the Tive gang are doing great things out in Boston as you expand? It's wonderful, wonderful to see people who want to get on board your ship or they want to work with you. Where do we send them to? Tive.com. T-I-V-E.com. Super yeah. easy. That Head easy. on over there. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, guys. Great seeing Thanks, you. Thanks, Karina. Take it easy. Wow. Big day for them. Oh, Big yeah. Day. You know, a lot of concerns about the economy. People thinking, like, maybe now isn't a good time to raise. But here, Tive out here getting a really nice Series B. It's 54. That's right, man. If you've got the that, right solution, man. I think that brings them to over 70 uh, million raise now. So solid job that team's doing. It really is. And, and what a great product, though, man. Oh, it's Simple, sure but effective. You know, so we had uh, Grant on from Convoy. He was doing a ride-along down to Max a couple weeks That's ago. Right. Right. And it made me think of an old friend of mine, Dave Abels, who did a ride-along a couple years ago. And it got us talking, and we slid into each other's DMs, and we were talking about it. And I thought it would be nice to catch up with him and uh, see what's going on in the world of Dave Abels. He's the CEO over at Three Sons Investments, and he's sitting in the green room right now. So let's bring him up and say hi. How you what's doing, up, Dave? Dave, long time no see. How you been? Where are you sitting today? I am in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota today, sitting in my home office this week, Tim. Um, you know, since I stepped out of the corporate world, I've been doing some consulting. So I've spent about the last six months on the road. This is a rare week for me to be here in the office in Minnesota. Typically, I'm out on the road Monday through Thursday working with different carriers on a multitude of different things. Well, Dave, I have a theory, too. So I was looking on your LinkedIn, and I saw you trying to take a selfie with your sons, and you thought that they were embarrassed to be with you. But I have an alternate theory here. I think it's they were just embarrassed to be watching the Vikings. Well, that could be. And that particular <laughs> day, the Vikings did fairly well. But as a 47-year Viking fan, I'll tell you, generally speaking, it is a little bit embarrassing at times to be a Viking fan. So... Dave, how did you go from how did you go from freight? You know, you were with Pam and Falcon and Dart to to hardware is one of the businesses you're touching on now. How did that pivot come about? Well, my wife and I owned a True Value store in 
Ohio for about eight years while I was at Falcon Transport. So she runs the hardware business. And then recently we just purchased another store here in Big Lake, Minnesota. And Lori and her team run that while I'm out on the road um, working with transportation carriers. So, Dave, I'm interested um, in 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 the, in the ride-alongs there. So, what 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 are kind of yeah. some of the things that you've learned from riding along with the drivers on their terms? So, here's the cool thing. I mean, and this is something I think that probably has helped me throughout my career, guys. I started out in 1995 as a driver, and the first five years, um, I spent a component of that five years in the office at the trucking company that I was with, and another component out in the truck. So that really set me with the foundation to understand a lot about the industry. But that specific ride along was in 2020 with the gentleman I think you guys are familiar with, Trucker Wayne. Mm -hmm. And we did that because COVID had just really became a thing. People had just went home and started working from home. They were just closing truck stops. They were closing the rest areas. So I wanted to see what it was like because guess who didn't get to go home and, and close? That was truck drivers. So I went out in the truck with Wayne and we experienced life on the road in the heat and heart of COVID-19. Truck stops were closed. They didn't have restaurants open. The majority of the rest areas were closed and those type of things. So that's originally why I went with Wayne and it was eye opening. And I think, to be honest with you, I was able to provide that feedback to the truck stops that we stopped at and they were able to make some modifications to make things better for the drivers. And if you think about it, too, that was a crucial time to go and do it because, you know, we're often very biased to our own circumstances. So I think a lot of people on the white collar side or the nine to five desk side, you know, we we knew each other's circumstance going into a remote world and the challenges and the luxuries of doing such a thing. But the complete opposite was going on in the cab for drivers where life got a lot more harder. Contact with home, doing everything got a lot more harder and in some cases a lot more expensive. How important is it to see these things with your own eyes to lead with empathy? Uh, I think it's critical, right? Because quite frankly, most CEOs, especially at companies as large as the Dart Transit, have never been in a truck other than perhaps for a photo op at maybe a new truck purchase with their dealership. Um, and then to be out on the road and experience it post or pre-COVID would have been completely different than during COVID. But the drivers were out there on their own. I mean, you'd go to unmanned rest facilities. Uh, most of them wouldn't allow you in at all. The ones that would allow you in were not clean by any means. Um, and, and then the same thing applied at truck stops. And to give them a little bit of credit, some of the fact that they were not clean and were not staffed properly was just that. The staff wasn't available. They were all at home. In mm -hmm. certain jobs, we know you can't do well from home. You can't be a, a restroom attendant from your home office, whereas maybe <laughs> as an accountant, you can be. So um, I think it was eye opening and I think it really engaged me with the fleet. The fleet respected me more for that. And Tim, even to this day, you know, I think two weeks ago, you and I were doing some posting back and forth. And I was with the driver in Detroit, Michigan, who was having trouble with the truck. She talked to the maintenance department and they just weren't in sync with one another that there was actually an issue. So quite frankly, I dusted off the old CDL and I jumped in that truck, took it out, drove it, came back, got in another life model, drove it, came back. And she was right. There was issues with the truck. And uh, unfortunately, they had fallen on deaf ears in the maintenance department. 
So, Dave, one of, one of the things that we talk about all the time is the physical challenges that the uh, drivers had during COVID-19, and they do now, right? Finding parking spaces, uh, just mm -hmm. health issues, that type of stuff. The mental health issue of that, though, what did you experience that when you were riding with uh, Trucker Wayne and, and, and you know, during COVID-19? And then after that, right? Just the physical thing that, you know, you're talking about the driver there and the truck having issues nobody believed her. The physical issue of getting stuff done is, is very difficult. What about the mental aspect of that? Man, I think it was really personified during COVID-19 because think about it, just generally speaking, before that, you're out on the road, you're out for a week, used to be you're out maybe two to three weeks, somewhat nowadays, it's a little bit less than that, but you always had a network of people you could talk to, or you'd even go to the same truck stop over and over and over, so you'd see the same people. Well, now you're out there in a truck and you're out there for one, two, three weeks at a time, you don't see anybody. Your support mechanism, whether we wanted to perceive it or not, back at the office isn't as good as it once was because some of those people aren't as responsive due to the fact that they're at home or off for whatever reason. And then the biggest thing that Wayne really enlightened me on is let's say something goes on at home, right? You know, let's say you, you haven't seen your father and your father gets COVID and your father passes away or your cousin or your brother or, or even a relative or a neighbor. You're not there for that. You're not there to be able to say goodbye. You're not there to be able to do those things. And, and that just made it much more difficult. And I think that uh, Wayne and others would attest to the fact that that COVID time was very, very difficult on people mentally and physically. Dave, how come the, the opinion of a lot of drivers, especially when like the, the topics come up about their issues is with their time being wasted at, at shippers docks and at receivers docks and those kind of things. Um, why as an industry, is it because we're so fragmented? Why are we not better at leveraging our power to make shippers behave better and to make people use drivers' times better? Why is there no accountability to that? Well, I think, Tim, this is a great question. And it's something that I've really learned a little bit more about since I've been doing the consulting thing, because I'm working with a lot of smaller carriers that don't have the proper infrastructure to push back. So you make a great point. Why did we not change the behavior of the shipper? Well, because if there was 150 trucks that delivered each day, there's 20 carriers that push back every time there's, there's a wait. So we unload those trucks faster than we unload other trucks, perhaps, right? They may not want to tell you that, but it could be happening. Then the carriers that don't know how to communicate, that don't know how to request detention, that don't know how to work with their shipper to make sure that the receiver unloads them timely, get overlooked. So we've created this torment on our own because not everyone has the same ability to push back. Yeah, so Dave, uh, you think the government task force looking into this can can is is on the right track, one, with the rhetoric that we're hearing from Biden and so on. Uh, in the administration, and, and to, can they be effective as, at, at helping this situation out? I think they could be. It's obviously, you know, it's early on yet to be determined. I think a lot of times, I don't want to call it lip service, but especially when it comes to politics, we yeah. come up with ideas or misnomers that we're going to make change, and we don't. So they do have the bully pulpit to be able to make change, and they could probably put in regulation. Right. So what I mentioned, 100 different carriers can't get uniform with one another to do. They could do they could regulate wait times and they could put a penalty on wait times at a higher level than any individual carrier could do. I don't know if that's something they're thinking about yet, guys, but that really would have to be is to regulate the management of hours of service. 
But then you get back into what do we or do we want the government to regulate exactly. and how much do we want the government involved in our daily lives? So it probably opens up a different can of worms, to be honest with you. Yeah. And do we think our lobby is better than the, the lobby on the other end? Like, is it yeah, do right. you want to open Pandora's box? I mean, yeah. these are the reality of these things. But on the other hand, you make a good point. The point of regulations is when an industry for one reason or another can't come together, but it's for the better good of the industry. You know, in mm -hmm. thought, that's how regulations really should be applied. Exactly. So maybe there's something to look into there. How about the market? Right now, you mentioned you've been talking to a lot of carriers. Market, it does seem like it's it's about to flip right now. You know, rates have been going down, volumes have been going down. What do you tell carriers in this to prepare for if the market is sliding downwards? Um, I pay a lot, very close attention to this, and I've been working with a lot of people on pricing lately. So that's another thing small carriers don't have the proper infrastructure for that the large carrier do. So many times they're hauling freights at rates that they shouldn't have been or two or three years old. What I really want everybody to understand is that this cycle will go on inevitably throughout the rest of our lives. We talk back to 2018. I read the articles that Craig wrote, really like them. I was with a large carrier in 2018. We, we were going to expand. We bought 300 extra trucks. In 2019, those 300 trucks set up against a fence, right? Small carriers can't do that. So even if you scale that down, if I have 100 and I buy an extra 20 and then the market changes and I have 20, that are up against the fence, not generating revenue, I'm probably in trouble. Now take that to 2022, I probably paid 30% more for that truck than I did in 2019. So now I'm in bigger trouble, right? I've overpaid for my truck, I've overpaid for my driver, and then the rates are gonna normalize. Now, I don't think they ever normalize back to what they were, but they're definitely gonna come off this high. And I know contract rates right now are at a, at a high, and the spot rates have started to drop. So try to lock in while you can would be my advice for the small carriers. Um, and that's something that guys like me are able to help them with is understanding what rates you can lock in and when you should lock. Yeah, that's the difficult part of it, Dave, right? I mean, because eventually it becomes desperation as an ugly force out there where you have the most desperate, uh, I'll say, uh, setting the price, right? Is Are we getting to that point anytime soon? Do you see that happening again where people are just dropping the price in desperation? I think there's people that are getting scared, right? And I had this discussion with one of the owners that I represent last week, and he told me, he said, look, I'm reading the articles. Everybody says it's getting ready to tank. You got a lock now. You got a lock now. We're going to have to go cheaper. We're going to have to do this. We're going to have to do that. And I think that's where that education of the market is. And you guys do a great job with your sonar product and even just your daily discussions. The smaller carrier don't have the tools that the others do to understand what the marketplace bears. So they could go too low. And, and the carriers I'm representing right now are tied into automotive freight. And Jeff, or I mean, Tim, you know this from the Falcon thing, motor freight or GM Ford, Chrysler, that OEM type freight typically pays a little less because it's a higher volume and it's very consistent. We've got to make sure that we hold our own and we keep those rates up at a profitable level. Nobody needs to get too rich, but if you're not making 10 cents on the dollar, you ought not be in the business, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a tale as old as time. And the longer you've been in this business, the more times you've seen the survivors and the losers and you kind of know the signs of the market and uh, and what happens. That's why advice like yours is invaluable. Dave, thank you so much for coming on and sharing some advice about empathy as a leader and talking a little bit about the market. People who want to connect with you uh, want to use your expertise. Where do we send them to? 
Uh, they can reach out to me at my email address, which is just three sons investments at gmail.com. Or they can shoot me a message on LinkedIn and uh, love to hear from you. And I'm always out there to help. Man, you know, just like you guys, I'm passionate about this industry. I love what I do and hope I can help. Dave, thank you so much. Take care and uh, good luck to you and the family. You're all running businesses together. So we're rooting for you. Right Take care. Take care. Peace and yeah. love, Dave. Good stuff. Excellent stuff. Dave, uh, I've known Dave since I've been with FreightWaves. He's uh, always been a great resource, a great thinker. Um, you just talk to him about freight. They're super easy and knowledgeable to talk to. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very clear, concise, uh, obviously passionate, and, and very knowledgeable about our business there and giving sound advice. Yeah. Well, we got some headlines to get to, so let's oh, hit them. Let's do it. Boom. Yeah. All right. Some takeaways from the TIA. Ooh. Apparently, there were some sessions there uh, without Chris Jolly on the stage. No way. <laughs> were there? This, this one didn't have him. He I was all see. over the place at that thing. It's just orange shirt for days. Uh, Noel Perry's the TIA's chief economist. He noted that rates during the surge of 2021 moved well above the rate of growth in any other key freight indicators such as volume. He said, we are way above normal, putting the excess demand at 26%. But he also said... This cannot be sustained long term. What we're living with is a truckload market that is extraordinary pressure to come back down to normal. Yeah, absolutely. And the irony is that while in 2021 it was a great market for freight, average broker rates stayed relatively steady during the year. Rates go up doesn't mean that uh, the, the, the intermediary is going to make a ton of money. The gross margin percentage for brokerage houses was more than $100 million in revenue, according to TA, but it was 13.45% uh, in the fourth quarter of 2021. A year earlier, it was exactly the same. Okay. For the industry as a whole, the average margin closed at 2020 at 13.4%. The stability in margins, even as rates were rising, demonstrated that brokers, while they may have had larger base numbers or invoices, their percentage of profits did not increase. Yeah, you know, he made some interesting observations about this, too. Another quote we have here is from Perry is that he noted in an average year, just stay even, the trucking industry needs to secure one million new hires. Perry said with volume at 26 percent above normal, there is no carrier in the country that has the recruiting capability to add 26 percent. What does that mean, though? The extraordinary freight volume has been the cause of the driver squeeze, according to Perry. When we talk about the driver shortage, it's a demand surplus. It's, it is not suddenly that we can't hire truck drivers. It's all related to demand in our business, and that's what Perry is telling to try this and tell this informed room there. Yeah, not just exactly. that 80,000 missing driver ATA number that every single article ever just copy and paste right in there. Yep, yep, yep. Every single thing with the Walmart hires too, which was like industry fluff piece about the Walmart hires. Like so many just ran with the exact same piece and they always throw that quote right in there. Go and Google it right now. Google like ATA 80,000 truck drivers and see every single article that uses that quote exactly verbatim unchallenged. Yeah, exactly. And it's not, it's not the case. It's hey, the man side. Went so I got to ask you something. So interesting. Yeah. Please. Let's dissect this a little bit even further. So you would think freight market, super expensive, more expensive than ever to send freight in 2021. Why aren't broker margins better? Do brokers do better in down markets? You know, uh, I, I don't know. It seems like they, they, well, they have a difficult time no matter what the market is because they're yeah. going both ways, right? I mean, the smarter ones do well in both, right? But there is definitely that pressure that is out there. I think there's that happy medium in there. When it gets too low, uh, you know, there's just not enough freight out there, and they're competing with each other to lower their margins to try and get things out there, right? And when it gets too high, there's kind of that in the middle. 
They're just selling capacity, so they're, they're just sort of selling tied capacity. To the market. Yeah, they're definitely tied to the market. Well, it's like if you're a professional gambler, you're trying to win X percent of the time, not 100%. You're trying to win X percent over cost. Yeah, right? exactly. I mean, we saw this, right? In 2020, brokers were getting killed at the beginning of 2020. They were absolutely getting killed. Uh, the market was it was in the toilet, and then it started to come back up, and then they started to do it, and then we had the argument with the drivers, you know, the, the carriers saying, hey, they're making too much money. They weren't making that much money. No, they weren't. But we'll see what happens now. And those arguments are going to all start up over and over again. That's why, as we have guests come on and these market goes down, we are going to be asking that question. What's the best thing to advise your carriers? What's the best way to work with your brokers here? What's the best way to preserve relationships? They're going to get stretched and strained. Brokers might get some tough calls right now, especially by reefer customers. That's because Shanghai Port has run out of space to reefer containers. A lot of alerts coming out right now. Eric Kulish has the full story on Freightways.com, which if you're an air freight, I do recommend you read. But container, I mean, sorry, if you're an ocean freight, if you're an air freight, you want to read it too, because this is going to affect that because people are going to have to move that to air freight if they can't get oh, yeah, this absolutely. stuff. Out. And yeah. airports over there are shut down Exactly. As well. <laughs> but more directly. Okay, so Eric Kulish, he says container vessel operators are preparing to divert refrigerated containers destined for Shanghai to other other ports because the area to plug in electric power completely gone they're completely full this disastrous lockdown that has been going on in shanghai uh, and if you've seen some of these things going on from the people i mean they are on almost at full-scale riot over there at least from what i've seen but just in terms of freight the notices to customers are telling them don't send them there there's nowhere to put them your reefer is going to go bad yeah, we've we saw this before, right? Remember, when the, I mean, they didn't have enough plugs for the reefer sitting out there, right? Plugs. Just not enough plugs. Their authorities in Shanghai they sealed off the entire city for nearly two weeks, and over this weekend, twenty three thousand COVID cases per day were counted. More than ninety percent of the trucks supporting import and export deliveries are out of action because of the restrictions. Slow pickup of cargoes resulted in long container dwell lines. Obviously, uh, less room for placing import boxes. They've got no places there. Less efficiency, decreased terminal efficiency, forcing dozens of container vessels to wait at anchor sure. berth outside. And that hairball's moved down the line. We're getting some data on that, too. Import dwell times for containers at Shanghai Marine Terminals, they've increased 75% in the uh, eight yeah. days since those lockdowns begun. And it's not just the port operations, as Ann keeps mentioning. It is also the issue of truck drivers and these lockdowns not being able to get in or out in the first place. So you can keep the port running, but if there's nobody to take the freight, what's going to happen you're gonna have a 75 percent drop in that cma cgm they also on friday they urge cargo cargo owners to identify alternative ports basically you got a reefer do not be sending it to shanghai right now until your brokers tell you otherwise or you know we report and say so don't rely on us though rely on your broker we might not miss that story it might happen <laughs> on a tuesday or thursday you might have to catch it on freight waves now there you go <laughs> Absolutely. There's some quick hits, too. A lot of other things going on at FreightWaves.com. Oh, yeah, UPS yeah, yeah. fuel surcharges are going to spike hard today, according to Mark Solomon. That's right. UPS U.S. ground delivery services will pay a 16.75% fuel surcharge that will apply to the base rate of each shipment, as well as most of the add-on services known as accessorial charges. <laughs> this is up from 15.25% for the week just ending and 15% for the week before. So rapidly going up as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Craig Fuller takes a look at inflation with his article, Will the Bullwhip Do the Fed's Job on Inflation? Uh, we'll get into that with Joe Wesenthal as well, right? Yeah, Joe Wesenthal is going to be on in uh, just a minute here. He's got a brand yeah. new song for us. We also got John Gallagher. John Gallagher, he's got the story on the on truck driver coercion complaints. They're going on at a record pace. If uh, the trend for the first 14 weeks of the year holds, 2022 will see more coercion complaints since FMCSA began formally compiling Whoa. them in 2020. 
16, the coercion complaints are like when you tell the driver to ignore their ELD and things like that. You're making them commit violations. You're telling them to do something that uh, they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, stay off the clock when they should be on the clock, uh, type of stuff. That right? kind of Fudging thing. numbers. Read all those headlines, FreightWaves.com. With the growth of Loves and Speedco nationwide network, Tire Pass has evolved its delivery method, always meeting the needs of your drivers wherever they may need it. Whether in lane at Loves Travel Stops, inside a truck care or Speedco service center, or at an on-site terminal, making Tire Pass part of your driver's pre-trip inspection can inform them on any tire-related concerns. To learn more about this Tire Pass, where do they go? Oh, excuse me. Go to uh, loves.com. Hey, Transfix is modernizing the way freight moves nationwide. The Transfix Intelligent Freight Platform combines the digital freight marketplace, intuitive solutions, and dedicated experts to drive performance to your modern supply chain. Get a free quote at, tell them, dude. Transfix.io. I got it right that time. Let's do a little big deal, little deal. We wait for uh, Joe to come on. Oh, all right. Big deal. Little deal. Take a look at this video here. So this lady <laughs> and this trucker have gotten into an altercation. Roll the tape. Okay, I'm gonna get over to pass this truck. And the truck comes over into this lane. And so I'm trying to get around this truck and he won't let me get in front of him. He's literally gonna kill, kill me. He's gonna kill me. Okay. I'm trying to go around him. And he's not letting me. <laughs> I'm putting my blinker on to pass him, and he's not letting me. What the f*** is your problem? What is your problem? You f***ed. Oh, oh. Wow. Okay, well, so a lot's wow. going on. She got upset there. So I don't know exactly <laughs> what happened before the camera started rolling. I imagine something or other. It doesn't really matter. I mean, what the driver was, the professional driver, you should never use your truck to prove a point like that. In no. her situation, though, I mean, you're going up a hill. If your car doesn't have the ponies to get around that car, maybe you don't want to escalate it by, like, swearing at him and, and beeping a whole bunch. Like, yeah, you probably you need the not. horses to get past them. You, when a truck's acting like that and you're in that type of situation, you probably want to lay off the gas and put the phone away. Put away the so. camera. I would say just let some asphalt just, go behind, between him. Stop at the next gas station yeah. you see. I mean, you got right. the video. You got his license plate. If it bothered you that much, do it. No need to put yourself in any yeah. further harm. Stop at a Love's. Stop at a Love's. Right? Get just a bottle of chill out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. What do you got? Hey, I got yeah, so yesterday. So TSA officers of Boston at Logan Airport. Yeah. You're familiar with that location, I am. right? Maverick Square is where I used to live. Discovered this hidden blade inside of a cane. We got oh. a picture of this. You check this out. When questioned by the Mass State Police, the man claimed he had no idea the blade was in there, dude. Uh, big deal, little deal. Do you believe this guy's story? Like, I didn't know it was a machete. I had no clue. I mean, it is an interesting looking cane handle, the type of grip that it has on it. That might give it away. But if you're not that experienced with canes, you're not someone who walks around canes all the time, I could see you accidentally picking up a sword cane and, and not knowing it. I would, I would give you the, maybe the benefit of the doubt I, if there's no other reason not to. Yeah, I could, I could see it. It almost looks like that black button there is a little thing that releases it out of there or something. I, I don't know if that would. It looks like a steak knife to me, bro. When we were flying home from, <laughs> when we were flying home from Disney, some lady, we had these Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. plastic swords, these $10 yeah. plastic swords, and some lady there was like, ran up to my wife, and she was like, oh, my God, those are fake swords, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I think she was the lady me. driving in that first video. I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, don't terrorize fellow motorists like that. <laughs> Check that All right, so is that a big deal? No, I don't think it's a deal. Do you think it's a big I think it was an accident. I, I, dude, I could totally see this. I absolutely totally see this. I used to travel a lot with a former boss who would consistently yeah. forget that his gun was in his was briefcase and have to pull it back out just before it went through the x-ray machine, run out to the car, and make up some sympathy. There's always a reason there's a sign, and sometimes you are the one responsible for them. All right, according <laughs> exactly. to CNN, uh, I think we have some video here. It may not actually be Floyd, but we can look at this. Oh, that's definitely. This flamingo, anyway. It says, according to CNN, Pink Floyd, a fugitive flamingo on the run for 17 years from a Kansas Sioux. He'd been spotted on tour in Texas. This was, uh, we might have to dissect this story a little bit, but first of all, big deal, little deal. Um, I think it's, um, it's a big deal. He's free, man. He's and he's free. living the life. It's a big deal. Well, there's Break two. free. Well, one of, them might be up, free. one of them might be up by Dave Abels, right? Because there was one that went up to yeah, apparently 17 years ago. These two, they, they escaped from that zoo, and they spotted one of them over in Minnesota. Now, this one, 17 years. How do they know it's him? Uh, they don't, actually. I mean, because he was spotted there before, and they did have the tag, I think. But this time, like, they can't figure their tag out. But they were in, like, a marshy area, like, 200 yards away for a while, and they tried frantically to try and catch him. And I think the two split up. One went north, one went south. Well, as anybody who knows things about flamingos could tell you that flamingos like salt marshes, so the climate where it is in Texas right now is actually perfect for that type of bird. Yeah, Minnesota, not so much. Not a Minnesota, lot of... I know. So, uh, flamingos, I understand that they get their pink color from, like, the food that they eat, right? That's I understand, So, like, yes. what does this flamingo look like in Minnesota now? Probably looks like a blue heron. It probably looks like snow after like three <laughs> or days. Snow, yeah, yeah, with, yeah like, it probably looks like yeah, a walleye bike, all over it a stuff. pickerel or something like maybe he's green. I don't know. So the, let's let's check this one out here. The Guardian reports uh, that Amazon reportedly discussed plans to block the word union and other related words from an internal message app, and the company is developing that the company was developing for workers. According to company documents seen by the Intercept, the news came days after America uh, Amazon's workers in New York made history by voting in the union uh-huh. for the first successful union organization. Check out this uh, this list here, Dooner. Um, <laughs> I think it's a little telling. First of all, big deal, little deal that they well, tried to break union, and then let's some of these I'll other. let you decide. Here's some of the words you can't use inside <laughs> this thing. You can't use I hate. You can't use union, fire, terminated, compensation, pay, fire. Seems like what if there was actually a fire? Well, like I think the, the combination of I hate union might be uh, acceptable. But all of these would like, <laughs> I imagine any one of these, uh, there, there's bullying, harassment, uh, rude. This is dumb. Uh, prison this injustice. This is dumb. I mean, this is telling of their business, right? Because you got diversity. Slave, slave labor is not in there, allowed in there either. You can't have diver- diversity. You have ethics. Uh, you, yeah. yeah, you can't put that. Restrooms, robots. You can't talk about tot. Wow. You're not even allowed to discuss a living wage at Amazon. You're not allowed to discuss a living wage, my friend. So I, all this tells me is I'm a worker. I'm not going to use their internal messaging app. Like, right? Yeah, what it tells me is, I, I think the big deal is that this hasn't happened earlier. I mean, I've, I've known people who have worked there and seeing this right here. Why, I, I think the big deal is it, Amazon like should be uh, concentrating on actually being a, a good uh, place to work than, like, fomenting <laughs> union <laughs> insurrections. You never want one of those lists to come out, but you know what? Hey, recording artist, podcaster, Get out of Bloombergian. Here. I think right. they call them Bloombergians over there. It's Joe Eisenthal. He's his first time on there. He's the host of Odd Lots. He's also an editor at Bloomberg, he like got his start doing blogs and has moved his way up all to the the upper echelon these Whoa. days. Yeah, well, he's talking big about inflation, Bitcoin, even getting into freight. He's interviewed Craig a few times. Get Let's bring him up, Joe. What, what are you doing here? How did you end up on what the truck today? <laughs> I don't know how. You know, I I used to cover inflation and the Fed and 
stock market and crypto. And then in the last year, suddenly, oh, I better like understand what's going on and shipping and logistics and trucking and everything like that. So I guess I'm uh, I, this has been the story for us on the Odd Lots podcast, everything related to your world in the last year. So I'm just a bit of a, uh, a tourist here, I guess, but trying to learn about it and understand about it. And as you mentioned, interviewed uh, Craig a couple of times. Awesome stuff. Hey, before we get into it, though, Joe, flamingos, are, are they turn their color because of what they eat. If one went to Minnesota, what color would the flamingo become? Oh, man. Is, is this a riddle or is this like a real like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's a riddle wrapped in a, like a, wrapped in a, a conundrum. No, it actually <laughs> happened. What would a flamingo eat in Minnesota? <laughs> I have no idea. I thought it would look like... I thought it would yeah, look like snow might... after a few days, like in Minnesota. So, like, kind of a like white, just a white crane. Just a white crane. I think that would work. Yeah, I think you wouldn't be able to pick out a flamingo in Minnesota. That's my Joe, Joe, podcasters, I love podcasters being one myself. Tell us a little bit about Odd Lots. How did that come about? Yeah, so my colleague and I, my co host and I, Tracy Alloway, we've been doing this for like almost, um, I think, about six years. And we both, we basically started as a hobby and like, a side, side, side job at Bloomberg in like 2015 when people weren't as into podcasts. We didn't know what we were doing. And they're like, oh, let's just start talking because it seems fun. Put out a camera interview, someone we like. And it was like a real like side job for us. And then uh, 20, you know, I started picking up steam in 2019. And then when um, the pandemic hit in 2020, it was really an opportunity to dive into stuff. And we like picked up the tempo a lot. It was always related sort of topics in markets, finance, and economics broadly. Is anything we're interested in? And then really starting in late 2020 was when a lot of our episodes started becoming about things related to freight, things related to trucking, things related to supply chains. I think it was first, uh, it was the freight uh, prices between Los Angeles and China started really picking up in late 2020. And so that became a huge part of the show since then. And we've just gotten more and more niche as we try to like wrap our heads around everything that's uh, going on in this and related topics. Well, Joe, but when you first decided to cover freight, were you thinking like, ah, nobody in my audience is going yeah. to care about this? Or was it pretty obvious that like it was tied into what was happening and you could make it interesting? Plus like me, usually a lot of times I like to have guests on so I can yeah. learn from them. Yeah, that's exactly how we approach the entire podcast, which is like, you know, we're pretty like well informed about how financial markets work. We're fairly well informed about how economics work, like a lot of our audience. But we know that the audience, the the financial audience, they have a lot to learn about all this stuff. So I think our attitude was, well, let's learn alongside our audience and take it from there. And I don't think we really thought about it so much in terms of will people be interested in it. We were interested in it. And so that was sort of the end of the discussion. We were interested in it. Let's get it going. And then what I think we did not expect at the beginning was like how deep and granular we could get on the thing. So we started, you know, it's like, well, let's talk about how the ports work. Let's talk about how yeah. truck, trucking works. But then it's like, well, then there's the segmentation of the trucking market from the, uh, the long haul truckers to the port truckers and so forth. And so over time, what it has has been a process of getting more and more granular, uh, more and more specific. And I think like the audience has really responded to like learning the uh, intricate details of all these industries that I think, you know, for years people have just taken for granted. 
Yeah, there's definitely more there than meets the eye, Joe, isn't there? And as you went through this and you, and you learned yeah. through the different things and had people on like Craig Fuller, who's just a wealth of knowledge coming from a yeah. talking family, what are some of the interesting things or things you didn't expect that you learned? I mean, I had there were so many things I had not realized previously just how volatile, obviously, the trucking cycle is. Of course, we may be, according to Craig and many others, in a down cycle now, but how sensitive it is and how hyper cyclical it is. That surprised me. It surprised me. Um, you know, you think of like consumer logistics or consumer uh, experiences as you know, very centralized or Uber like in many cases. Just how incredibly fragmented the back end is and, you know, going on to say a WhatsApp group or a Telegram group looking for uh, gigs or looking for uh, shipping that way. I would not have uh, expected prior to diving into this space just how incredibly like, you know, you sort of look at it like, well, this really feels like it's held together with duct tape sometimes how a how freight moves from one place to another so that uh that really surprised me and then the thicket of uh regulations both at the uh, national level the state level the city level the town ordinance and how these those can either work together or clash that's been really interesting but yeah it's just, there's a, that's what we found there's there's truly an endless level of um granularity and specificity that we can uh, get into. We have an episode coming out later this week. It's about the dredge market and the fact that the U.S. doesn't have great dredging equipment because of the 1906 law, and that's prevented us from expanding our ports as much as we can. Like so many interesting like sub, sub, sub stories to this entire space. It is amazing. Like when you start looking at an industry, a lot of them can seem sort of like boring on the surface or just like a calm pond. When you yeah. go underneath, there's this massive just sort of ecosystem under there. And it takes a yeah. lot of people to explain that to you. But I need you to explain something to me now. I need you to explain this song that you wrote. Uh, first okay. off, <laughs> why did you write the song? And also, is this like the first song you've, you've ever written or do you have a large catalog of work that you are pulling from? No, here? I've written like 100 or 200. I, it's just been my lifelong hobby since I was in high school songwriting and every every few years i get into i get motivated and i write a bunch of songs i'm like i'm gonna quit my job and go be a uh, star <laughs> in nashville but that hasn't worked out yet because i never really have the guts to try so now it's too late for me but i still love uh recording music and writing songs and uh it had been a couple of years since i picked up my guitar and i was like i should write a song about inflation and i got this idea for a chorus in my head and then once i got the idea like it was a very quick song to write uh, but I, most of my songs are not like topical. Like I don't like write about news or economics mostly, uh, but every once in a while I'll get an idea for something that's sort of related to something I cover. Well, let's take a listen yeah, to I'm his, uh, his hit new inflation okay. song. Roll the <laughs> my tape, debut. Guys. I took my paycheck and I put it in my tank. It barely got me to work today. What's the point of needing all this dough? When it don't get me where I need to. When you 
content. All extra dollars, they go straight into rent. I liked it more when those checks got sent. I'm glad I gave up all eating for Lent. Well, at least cheap beer is still cheap. Commas, I don't even see one. Random. Well, and then it draws with like some of the American high Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at least fresh air is still free. And I feel like quadrillion dollars when you're here with me. Yes, I feel like quadrillion dollars when you're here with me. Let's give, uh, nice. let's give a little Very cowbell nice. for his the inflation is... song. Does that make it sting less? I think, so. you know, you got to like, a, oh, sorry. You got to uh, <laughs> gotta have a little oh, bit of fun oh, oh, with you're, it. I you're guess. shaking me up. Um, yeah, I'm glad I got a little <laughs> bit of topical material for music. And uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you for giving my, this is my first radio anything commercial. Gonna... I've played a couple of concerts, but this is the first time it's ever been broadcast. Well, I mean, look, it may not be Nashville, but we're only two hours from there over here in Chattanooga, yeah, yeah, in, we're close. in Freight Alley. You never know. There could be a, yeah. uh, a producer walking by who, who heard that. You never know. Yeah, what? hopefully some A&R person is watching uh, What the Truck right now. Absolutely. Well, so I used to be an A&R person, so I'll use shout out there, A&R guys. I'll give you Joe's there contact you info. You can right. sign into the label. But Joe, let's ask you. Let's Please start. Let's, let's talk about this inflation. Is it yeah. is it real? Is it transitory? If the freight market collapses, are yeah. we out of an inflation cycle? What's going on? I, this is like the biggest question to my mind in the economy right now. So the question is, we have seen this incredible, uh, remarkable inflation in like durable goods, anything that has to be shipped. And of course, we all know why. I mean, there's this scarcity of capacity, whether it's shipping capacity, trucking capacity. None of that is uh, a real surprise. But it does look like that's slowing down. And so I guess there's two questions that I would ask right now. One is, is this just slowing down because it's a shift to services? And people have been predicting this a long time. During the pandemic, the peak, everyone bought goods, didn't go as much out for vacations and restaurants and movies and stuff like that. So is this about just a shift back towards normalization? That would probably be a good a good thing overall for the economy. Or is this about like some sort of like deeper economic slowdown, which wouldn't be uh, such good news for the economy? Is it, is it overall? Is it because of interest rates or oil or something like that? And then I guess the next question is, if we do see this durable goods slowdown, does the inflation then migrate to services? So will it just be that all those service vacations, et cetera, those get more expensive as the freight and durable goods get lower? I don't know. I personally am hopeful that as the uh, we see some loosening in the shipping and logistics market, that that contributes to some sort of disinflation. But look, I've been like wrong for a year on this and nobody should listen to anything I say. Well, it's yeah. almost like a pinball machine, right? It's like a four trillion dollar pinball machine, yeah. and like COVID's the pinball, or the the economy's the pinball game, and it just yeah. it hits on everything, and it's hitting it on different times. He just brought up a great point about services. So, like in yeah. transportation, we saw a lot of like salary escalation and, yeah, and, and, sure. and job growth, but if suddenly everyone starts twenty six percent shifts over to there, what happens to our side of the industry? And then what happens to the service side, where now they have to compete much more heavily for labor? 
That's a that's a great point. And when you go yeah. to the service, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, sorry, you go ahead. I was just going to say, when they do go over to the service side, I mean, you go to the service side and there's just not enough workers there, right? A lot of them have moved on to something else. They've left those service jobs there, right? So it's difficult to go even spend money there. The other part that concerns me a bit, Joe, is because I'm hopeful like you are. I like to be the optimist there, but I'm also realistic. And one of the things that scares me is, is, you know, China out there shutting down all of Shanghai, you know, and there's 23,000. How does that figure into inflation? Because now you can't get the stuff again, right? Yeah, that's unreal. And so there had been this debate that's gone on for a while. It's like, well, are we really seeing supply chain disruptions or is this just so much demand for goods that no amount of clean operation of the supply chain would matter at all? Right. And so I think there is some debate about whether the supply chain disruptions are real or whether this is just a well-functioning supply chain buckling under the strain for goods. But then you look at what's going on in China and you look at all of particularly uh, out of Shanghai. And there was a story today on Bloomberg about the surge in boats just waiting out on the water there because dock workers are sick or they're not coming to work. And this lockdown, it is almost unfathomable to imagine how this wouldn't have huge ramifications just when we're like talking about normalization or easing and trucking or maybe uh, rolling over of China to Los Angeles. Freight rates, just when that happens, I mean, this is an extraordinary disruption. So far, I haven't seen any companies really talk about like, oh, we're about to take a big hit because we can't move our goods out of China. But it almost seems unavoidable. Like, it's hard for me to imagine a scenario in which you could shut down one of the biggest most important commerce cities in the world and presumably have either uh, some sort of soft lockdowns everywhere out of China without having some huge hit to all sorts of shipping. I haven't seen it yet show up in numbers, but it just seems hard to imagine that it wouldn't. Joe, your latest Odd Lots, and I recommend people go and listen to it, it covers uh, mortgage rates basically going up, right, to 5%, 5% plus, and what impact that will have on the uh, housing markets. Where do people go to catch Odd Lots? Where do they find new episodes? How often does it come out? Sure, yeah. It, it comes out twice a week, typically, Monday and Thursday. It's on all the apps, Apple, Spotify, etc. We also have my co-host and I write. Um, we have a blog that sort of goes next to our uh, the podcast or post transcripts, other stuff, Bloomberg.com slash oddlots. And yeah, today's episode about housing, which is really interesting because it is a macro story. What do 5% mortgage rates or rising interest rates mean? But as we've all sort of like come to be reminded in the last year or so, like housing is also a manufactured product with its own uh, supply chains. And of course, there's lumber questions and labor questions and logistics questions and garage doors are scarce and windows are scarce and faucets are scarce and cupboards are scarce. So it's this combination of a really interesting and important macro story with also this sort of like the micro element that uh, we're talking about here. Major uh, sort of crossroads moment for the housing market. Again, maybe some hope that things could ease in a benign way if demand cools a little bit, if supply chains improve a little bit, lumber prices coming down. That's the hope anyway. I'm sure that the Federal Reserve and others and homeowners would like that. Just sort of like this nice, cool easing without it uh, crashing. I don't think it's going to crash. There's too much demand for housing, but the, the market is, is really a mess and really unhealthy right now. Joe, we've just run out of runway on the show. Thank you so much for coming on here. We are so blessed to Thank have you. you be uh, to, to have your first debut song on a on a free oh, yeah, TV show. On any Thank TV you so show. much. That was really fun. I loved the, it. 
The Marshall the Grammy starts today. Find Joe on Twitter. That's where I hang out with him. It's uh, his full name, <laughs> Joe Wiesenthal, or look up all that scratch wherever you get podcasts. Joe, thank you again. A little cowbell for you. Take care, brother. Thank you. We, we knew him way back when. Knew him way back when. Well, Wednesday, <laughs> coming up Wednesday, we won't have a regular What the Truck. We will be live from the Enterprise Fleet Summit. That's April 13th, 2022. Go to live.freightways.com to register. It's free. We give away prizes. There'll be all sorts of great speakers. Welcome aboard, Rooster, Mr. James Bowen, and Super Trucker Justin Martin yeah, to the back right. truck up team. We're having our first meeting in about an hour. Ingrid, yourself, will be there too. Amen. We get this ship rolling for next right, week. Find what the truck wherever you get podcasts from. Find me at Timothy Dooner. That's D O N E R. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Don't be a stranger. And tell him how to be. Hey, spread it everywhere. <laughs> <laughs>